From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We're honored that you're joining us today, especially our listeners in Europe, so that means you remembered. When you change your clocks over the weekend, this show would be one hour earlier than during the summer months. And by the way, the same will happen 48 states of the U.S. before our next show. So the next show will be an hour earlier if you change your clocks. We in Arizona and our friends in Hawaii do not change our clocks since we get plenty of sunlight. Don't need any more in the summer. Now, regardless of whether you're listening live or to the archive of the show, I'm confident you'll be glad you joined us. If you don't gain new knowledge during this show, we have a double money-back guarantee. Guarantee we'll refund double what you paid to listen. Now, we'll be continuing our series on financial literacy, which we kicked off with Sharon Lecter, a pioneer in this area. And today, we'll be focusing on taking responsibility. Now, as I prepared this show, I uh, realized our guest today might have been even more appropriate for kicking off this series. Now, why will be clear in just a few minutes when he joins us. Now, I've started a tradition of using a quote to set up, set up this uh, topic. And let me share one for today's show, which I felt was very appropriate. There's only one way to succeed in anything, and that is to give it everything. I do and demand that my players do. That quote is from Vince Lombardi, one of the greatest coaches of American football. Now, I realized that during our last show, as we talked about the huge impact Sharon Lecter and her prior partner, Robert Kiyosaki, have had and continue to have on financial literacy, we didn't really address a key question. Why is financial literacy important? Well, I'll take the responsibility. You see, I make the assumption that each of you thinks the way I do that everyone knows there's a strong correlation between having a high level of financial literacy and financial success. Since we didn't say that, let me simply confirm that yes, the higher your level of financial literacy, the higher your chance of becoming financially independent at an age when you still can enjoy it. Now, I've recently been talking about the holy grail of working, saving, and investing. And again, to keep it simple, let me define that holy grail as income for life. So that's the goal of our getting an education, working hard, saving and investing wisely. It's to build a portfolio that provides us income for life, the holy grail. This past weekend, I found a few hours to watch a classic movie I never thought would be interesting just from its title, The Dead Poet Society, starring the late Robin Williams. The key point for me is how impressionable and emotional youth can be. Knowing that, that helping their shape their careers and increasing their financial literacy is so much easier when they're young. They haven't come up with a hundred reasons why they can't be successful. You see, those attributes, of course, can be dangerous when someone, whether teachers, parents, friends, or others, steer them down a negative path. We might even have a few minutes to touch on this topic today. Today is Monday, 27th, uh, Monday, October 27th. Let's try that in English now. Monday, October 27th, 2014. It is 9.03 here in Arizona, 12.03 p. 
p.m. on the East Coast and 1703 in continental Europe, an hour earlier than it was on our last show. It's the only day ever like it. We'll do everything possible to make a great one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. Your local time, of course, may change, which it may next month. Our show time doesn't. I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you miss some shows, or maybe even the one I mentioned, you'll want to re-listen. You'll find them on the archive. Just go to wealthdna.us where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archive. Our sponsor today is BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area. Now, the U.S. equity markets, after a few choppy weeks, are off to a negative start. Asia was mixed overnight. Europe is down, and Brazil is down somewhere around 4%. Something dramatic going on there. Haven't had time to check this morning. Now, the advantage of joining us for the live show is you get to ask questions or make comments either using the chat window below the radio player, and I highly recommend that because of the number of topics we try to fit in this hour. Or you can call in. If you're listening to the archive, neither of those options will work. Trust me on that. Now, our guest today to discuss financial literacy, taking responsibility, is Nick Lowry, who most fans of American football over the age of 25 will remember as Nick the Kick Lowry. He's a (laughs) Hall of Famer who had a long, successful, record-breaking career as an NFL place kicker for the Patriots, Chiefs, and the Jets. And I won't mention the city names. You probably know them, but we don't want any city rivalry here. We'll talk about some aspects of his career that you probably don't know about, but very relevant to our topic today. We'll also talk about what he's been doing for us lately. Let's give Nick Lowry a warm radio welcome. Nick, I'm so glad you're willing to join us today. Ron, it's it's an honor to be on this, um, and I hope I can make it clear just why you said that as I got on the phone that I'm always so <laughs> so cheery. But I will say this, mm-hmm. that it's people like you that give me uh, a sense uh, of optimism at an even higher level because without people like you, helping people learn to think for themselves and help their children think for themselves, we can't change the direction of the American economy. But most importantly, the, the notion of really solidly embedded happiness – for the millions of Americans that work really hard and deserve it. Well, I appreciate those those kind words, Nick. And um, you know, a lot of a lot of your fans are probably wondering what you're up to lately. So I want to make sure we cover that. But I gave a brief overview of your background. Now, if you go to a cocktail party and there's one or two people that don't know about your NFL career, your great career, how do you introduce yourself? Well, actually, um, I try not to immediately say I played in the NFL um, Mm -hmm. uh, because one of the things that uh, we have to do as professional athletes or former professional athletes is learn to make that transition and to find, Ron, um, a passion that somehow can uh, replicate or uh, replace what is an incredibly beautiful, dynamic, um, and exciting life. And so if one spends much time defining oneself from by one's past career, it makes it even harder. I was lucky enough mm-hmm. to grow up in Washington, D.C. with uh, Bushes and Gores and Kennedys uh, at Potomac School and St. Albans School and, and being raised mm-hmm. to believe that we're supposed to do something with our lives anyway. So a long-winded answer, but uh, it was always about – 
what was I going to do to make a difference in the world growing up in the Watergate, Washington of the early and mid-1970s? Boy, you know, you use, use a phrase, very, a lot of people would have missed that, so let me emphasize it. What will I do? You didn't say what I want to do. You said what I will do, and that is really key, is that to set your mind on it and really do it. And obviously, as we talk more today, I think people are going to see that's part of your attitude. And since you mentioned it, you, you're, you're living life to the fullest I'd like to use your career to date and, and walk through some of those events in your life during this show. Would that be okay? Absolutely, Ron. All right. Now, before we dig, dig into specifics, uh, let's share with our listeners how they'd learn more about your career, some of the things you're doing. What websites would you recommend? Obviously, first would probably be the uh, Nick Lowry Foundation, probably, right? Yes. You could, you could type out nicklowryfoundation.org or to make it easy, nicklowry.com or nicklowry.org. Um, dot org, which is N-I-C-K-L-O-W-E-R-Y dot O-R-G. And that's uh, my foundation website, which is dedicated primarily to programs that have to do with leadership and at its core, how we learn, helping young people like the kicker in all of us learn how to focus on what matters most, to control the things they can control and lead themselves before they can lead others. And secondly, Champions Against Bullying. We also do programs for the homeless, Champions for the Homeless, something called Global Village Champions with Muhammad Ali, who I was lucky enough to have as a neighbor, mm-hmm. uh, and um, who has founded a program with Yank Berry that um, helps people around the world and feeds people around the world. So that's the main one. And then I do uh, motivational talks. I spoke to Fairfield Residential in, in Las Vegas only last Thursday morning, and I really enjoy that to help people uh, just you know, it, take advantage of what they do have in their lives and um, make sure they target a career that has success that truly feels like success. It doesn't just end up being a mountaintop with no one at the top of that mountain when they get there. Okay. Now, we're both baby boomers, so let me take you way back. Did you grow up in a traditional household that emphasized getting a good education is the key to getting a good job? <laughs> I was so spoiled that way. My mother was in one of the first full classes of women at Oxford. She was British. Mm-hmm. Her father was a British diplomat who grew up in Cairo, Egypt. And she met uh, a man named Sidney uh, Lowry, who had been a pilot, a reconnaissance pilot for General George Patton, Ron, and flew 32 mm-hmm. missions in Germany the last six months of the war, and then went back to on the GI Bill, thank God for the GI Bill, at sure. Stanford, got his graduate degree and was in the very first group of Fulbright scholars who were there going on a ship to England to help foster the post-World War II democracies of the world uh, and, and establish understanding and leadership. And my mother was helping run that program with a guy named Alan hmm. Pfeiffer, who would go on to run the Carnegie Mellon Foundation. So uh, it was always about education. My father was senior in the CIA, uh, after subsequent to that, never made a big deal out of it. I only found out later that in the, the late 60s, sure. uh, he was actually head of station. If you like James Bond, my father was the literally the equivalent to M, who James Bond re- reported to for the British. My father right. would meet with, with, with the M, if you will, uh, weekly at the U.S. Embassy and, and other undisclosed locations in sure. London. So uh, education was always what the key emphasis was about education and making a difference in life and with a lot of unconditional love thrown in. Notice there was no coincidence in your life. Your parents met. Had they not, you wouldn't be here. Uh, you know, it's it's those travels and those stories that are just fascinating how that all happens, but there's no coincidence. It's all planned. 
Well, if you, if you believe in destiny, certainly. I, I was so lucky. Uh, another coincidence that I think is a really great one to bring in, Ron, is the mm-hmm. day that we moved into 6803 Hampshire Road in McLean, Virginia in 1962, mm-hmm. uh, 6801 Hampshire Road, our next-door neighbor, moved in, and he was Byron Wizzer-White, former NFL star, led the NFL in rushing twice, um, Rhodes Scholar, friends of John F. Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy, who had just been nominated and approved by the U.S. Senate to be the next Supreme Court Justice and was a Supreme Court Justice during some crucial years for 31 years. And there was my next-door neighbor. Talk about being lucky enough to be spoiled with a man that saw life as being, yes, about greatness in football, but also about making a difference in the world. He actually led the Selma and Selma, Alabama during the civil rights marches, Ron. Byron White helped commandeer the school buses that probably saved hundreds of lives um, when there were those marches in the 60s before he became a Supreme Court justice. Wow, a lot of great mentors. And that, that kind of, okay, so education was obviously a key piece of your, your, your upbringing. But, you know, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that you must have liked sports, and obviously your, your neighbor had some influence <laughs> on that. How did you balance that sports versus academics? You know, actually, I, I don't think Byron uh, Justice White had uh, tremendous influence. I just love sports, just like any kid, you know. And his mm-hmm. his uh, mm-hmm. daughter Nancy, who's now Nancy uh, White Lippy, she uh, was actually Stanford Co-Athlete of the Year with a guy named James Lofton, future NFL Hall of Famer. So we would play basketball in the driveways between our houses, and mm-hmm. uh, we'd play any sport we could. But uh, the balance was simply that we were lucky enough to go to schools that understood, unlike so many school systems today, that. Uh, uh, I work with and encounter that have had to be subject to these cutbacks in the very things from sports to debate to theater, you name it, the so-called extracurricular activities, which have to do with how we learn to make decisions uh, in sports, uh, split-second decisions on who to pass to, on how to control our emotions when the other team goes ahead for a minute or two, how to, to manage ourselves, how to communicate and connect with other people. And uh, we were lucky enough to have schools that had those programs in place, so we had long school days, but we also I think we had a very cohesive school environment where there was a common vision and uh, as I look back, of course, those things are easier to see. It just We just knew sure. that we were appreciated and made to feel that being an individual, as long as we worked hard, was a very important thing. Wow. We are going to come back to that point because I think that's a very key one that's kind of shaped your, your current uh, destiny. Uh, how about in college? Did you, as many of the sports stars, kind of do the minimum required academically to, to focus on those sports? <laughs> well, I was lucky enough to go to Potomac School, which is uh, one of the finest schools in America, and then St. Albans mm-hmm. School. And uh, Al Gore actually was football captain of, uh, almost 10 years before me there. Um, huh. and, uh, and I was recruited um, by uh, some big schools. My twin sister, Annie, went to Stanford. So I chose not to go to Stanford just because I think it thought I'd uh, probably get on her nerves. But uh, my, <laughs> my uh, choice was Dartmouth College, and, and I got into <laughs> Princeton. And um, we don't get athletic scholarships in the Ivy League. It's a proud tradition that it's based on financial need, not on scholarships that uh, can, shall we say, subvert the proper balance of of academics versus athletics. And I will say Jay Krauthammel, who went on to be athletic director at Syracuse, uh, there's one example for those that are jaded about college sports. 
Jake Krauthammer always made sure our academic life was always the priority. And so uh, Dartmouth uh, was a school that has and, and still has probably the greatest alumni spirit of any school, certainly in the Ivy League. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a cohesion there, a pride there. And we certainly enjoyed our academics and we loved being one of the best teams in football in, in the Ivy League. But it was always second to our development for who we would become after after college, you know, when when life is uh, no longer having a script written for you. Exactly, boy, and I hope some of my parents uh, listening will use that little line there and have their kids look, tune in uh, pretty pretty carefully to that. Now, tell us about the big break. You obviously were a football great uh, during college, so does that mean you were picked in the early round uh, draft picks <laughs> and the career just took off from there? <laughs> Uh, you know, being a, being a place kicker, especially uh, in those years, uh, place kickers um, in the Ivy League are not going to be drafted uh, in the first round, and I wasn't drafted at all. I had a very, very good junior year in college, didn't miss a kick. Maybe the first time in NCAA history the kicker didn't miss an extra point or a field goal. But my, my senior year, probably put too much pressure on myself, did not have as good a year, but did win, kick two game-winning field goals, one against Yale, which was a, a, a great pride, and Holy Cross was another. And But um, my journey was uh, the most important thing was, and I say this to every single group I ever talked to, uh, mm-hmm. the journey through the mistakes and rejections of trying out with eight NFL teams 11 times was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was not a smooth thing. I was not drafted. Um, I almost played for Cleveland. I signed with the New York Jets. But being ready for prime time is not an easy thing, and it requires um, subjecting yourself to some forms of embarrassment, humiliation, public I won't call it disgrace, but certainly defeat and learning and getting back up and getting better just simply by having the strength to say, the more times I do this, the better I'm going to get. So wait a minute, wait a minute. You're you're telling me that just because you're good in college, you don't become, you know, the, the, the all-star right away that joins the NFL and your career takes off. You've got to actually work at this stuff still. Well, you know, the salaries, we're going to get into that in a minute, Ron, but the mm-hmm. salaries are enormous uh, and even you know, 10 to 20 times bigger than they were when I played. But uh, the statistics are the same. It's about 20,000 to one to be a high school player that plays in, in wow. football. And then in college, it's, you know, let's say it's 300 to one. It's still extremely difficult to even get a shot. And that's, that's just making it to training camp, to have a career, even if you make it, Ron. The average mm-hmm. career is 3.6 years. So let's say you make it at 22. By 26 or 27 at the latest, you're done anyway. So what are you going to do with the rest of the other 50, 60, 70 years of your life? Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that the Players Association has been trying to do, uh, sometimes with success, but frankly, uh, so much more needs to be done, is to help players understand that. And frankly, let's even go back one step to help the mm-hmm. people in college and high school realize the chances of playing professional football, and by the way, not getting injured, even if they're good enough to play professional right, football. Right, right, good point. Those chances are so small, it, and if you focus on them, then you're, you're done. So it's, I, I take my hat off to those that want to try that. But to have mm-hmm. a plan B to develop intellectually and emotionally so that um, one has something else to focus on, those things actually will help you in your in your quest to make it in the NFL in many ways as well. So 
So you're you're dispelling, I think, what most people's perception is. Sports is the easier route because once you're in, you're good. You just kind of make it to the top. Uh, you know, in a company, I'll have ten people, and among them, only one of them will be picked to be the manager and move up. And so, therefore, it's you know kind of one to ten odds. What you're saying is, in sports, that road is just as or much more difficult because of the the pure numbers and uh, and the amount of training and learning it's not just uh, being liked well uh, frankly if you look at what's happening now with the professionalization of kids that are 7 and 10 and 15 they're getting professional training i was coaching a, a junior high uh a jv kicker yesterday uh, i've been working with him um and that's great there's nothing wrong with that but what's happening is there are a lot of repetitive stress injuries from these kids that think they have to be professionals and concentrate on one sport when they're 10 and 12 years old uh and we're trying to do things about that but the reality is on top of what actually happens when you're out of college is managing your body and your state and having balance in your life so that you're healthy you're healthy for a lifetime right well said now let me remind our listeners you're tuned to the wealth dna radio show i'm your host ron naraki i look forward to you joining us every second and fourth monday our sponsor today is bi solutions corp a real estate fund in the phoenix and scottsdale area now, if you've missed some of the prior shows, you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive on wealthdna.us. If you'd like to get an email reminder of the shows, just send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Reminder, during the show, we welcome you, our listeners, to uh, ask questions or send in a chat is the easiest way, comments, uh, questions, uh, or there is a call-in number, 917 388 4162, and that's at the top of the page as well. Our topic today is financial literacy, taking responsibility, and our guest is Nick Lowry, record-breaking NFL place kicker who continues to have a very positive influence on youth and adults, as you'll hear about very shortly. Now, Nick, for some of our listeners who maybe were fired somewhere in their career, that seemed like the end of the world. What message you 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 know tried to get into and struggled and uh, even got um, uh, turned down by by NFL team after NFL team? What message would you share based on those early struggles uh, and ultimately becoming a Hall of Famer? Uh, you know what 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 message would you have for some of those listeners that are maybe in or have recently been in one of those dark periods? Well, first of all, everyone goes through those dark periods. Every single one. The, the Joe mm-hmm. Montanas of sport, and, and uh, who was my teammate with the, the Chiefs my last year with the Chiefs, and the Michael Jordans who was here, I got to meet him and spend some time with him at the NBA All-Star Game. They all will say they had the greatest teacher in the defeats. Every single human being on this planet either is ignoring a defeat <laughs> or knows that they've had a, a great uh, mistake that has hindered, temporarily at least, uh, the, mm-hmm. the progress towards who they want to be. Uh, for me, Uh, just draw this picture you're running onto the field there's a 40 second clock the head coach decides after 10 seconds to kick a field goal you get to the middle of the field there are 80,000 people screaming there are 11 very large people paid millions of dollars to block your kick literally 20 something feet away you the the wind is blowing uh there's there's dirt and and who knows uneven surfaces you've got a pick out your target, pick out the spot where the ball is going to be placed. Your snapper will snap that ball back eight yards. It's caught by your holder, put Mm -hmm. down and spun. 
and you kick that ball with 1.3 seconds, under 1.3 seconds, and the ball's actually not spinning while you're moving towards it, about to kick it, for only one-tenth of a second. You have to kick it through an 18-foot-wide target, and it has to get up high enough that those very large people representing 3,000 pounds of saliva and testosterone and blood and sweat, that they don't block it and eat it and kill you in the process too. So that's what you have to get used to. And you don't know when that's going to come. It's not like you are told at the appointed time you will be kicking. It can come at any time. It can be the short field goal in the first quarter. It can be the 60-yarder as time expires in the fourth quarter. Every kick matters. So I knew I had to endure the fact that um, by putting myself vulnerable to being cut, I also was signing up for greatness. That's what we do. To sign up for greatness, we sign up for rejection. And it's part of mm-hmm. the, the part that, that pushes us to higher levels that we never thought we could have. And luckily, I just knew. It's so obvious to me. I had to, after a couple of days of, of, of crying, of, of thinking my dream was over, I realized they don't know what's inside of me. The New York Jets don't know it. The Baltimore Colts don't know it. None of those teams, including, frankly, even my own family, did not know the level of commitment that I was wanting to bring to it. And I could tell after the first year I was getting better. I was getting physically tougher and emotionally tougher. And those are the things that one notices, I think, in business, Ron, that one, one can intellectually comprise the, the uh, professionalism and the grasp and knowledge of a certain subject. But being a true professional requires a different level of mastery. And mastery comes through working mm-hmm. through all the adversity. So the adversity is what taught me. And each time I got cut, I was a little closer to the point where at the end of two years, I did not think twice to give up a job working for the United States Senate, working for Senator Bob Packwood of Oregon on aviation safety, seat safety to be exact, and try my 12th time, not against some nobody, but against the greatest kicker in the history of the game at that point, Jan Stenerud, and somehow knew I'd paid my dues. At that point, I'd finally paid my dues, and I really could do it. I'd have to beat him every single day at everything, but I had a shot, and that's what I held on to. And so one of those things you mentioned is very, very key. Despite other people's doubts, you couldn't let yourself doubt yourself. And I think that's the thing that happens to most people is they start doubting themselves. And that's when the uh, self-esteem drops, that's when their enthusiasm drops, that's when they start missing the kicks or they start getting cut from teams or they don't get the promotions, they don't get the job. So uh, I think, you know, very well done. And, 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 and I totally agree with your first point, everybody fails somewhere or they struggle and they have problems they're not you know and so it's not that you're different by having having some of those struggles now nick after your 16 or 18 very successful years as a pro did some of your early coaches and managers later call you and say hey you know what nick i really underestimated your potential <laughs> uh, I, I think I certainly that's interesting I've never been asked that question I, th- I think I had a lot of people that um, for instance Bobby Bethard who is a, a Hall of Fame caliber general manager for both the Redskins with Joe Gibbs and then with, with uh, San Diego uh, he brought me in in the end the beginning of my second year and kicked two preseason games uh, for a wonderful kicker named Mark Mosley. And he, uh, he said, we could see it in you, but we just didn't realize, you know, quite what you had, but, and, and that's gratifying. But, 
you know, no one really sees it. No one can really see it. They can see the work ethic, but you have to, in the end, run on the field with the most vulnerable, what I call a feeling of naked and alone with 80,000 people <laughs> staring at what you right. do. Uh, and, and, and like finance, at least in this regard to some degree, when you make the kick, it goes through or doesn't. It's not like it might have gone through. It's not like it can be interpreted. Mm -hmm. It either goes through or it doesn't, with, with very few exceptions. And so, you know, you are remembered, uh, secondly, uh, most of the time for your misses, not for your makes. There are plenty of times when I made uh, NFL record percentages, 21 in a row, and not only 1990, 21 in a row in 1991, 22 of 24 in 1993. No one has ever kicked at that level three straight years, and yet I would walk into an 7-Eleven, let's say, and the lady behind the counter would say, hey, I know you, you're Nick Lauer, you're the kicker for the Chiefs. I saw you miss that field goal. There you go. Well, there you go. I, I could have made that kick. Yeah. So, so you know, no matter how well you do, whether you're Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, those guys, if they want to focus on the public scrutiny, they can easily be knocked off their game. What makes them great, and frankly, another great story, please ask me about Russell Wilson, whose father, Harry okay. Wilson, was my holder and teammate at Dartmouth College. Uh, Russell Wilson would say the same thing. He doesn't read the newspaper. He doesn't watch ESPN. Because all those things do is take away his own power and his own there focus. Go. There you go. Uh, you're exactly right. But did you ever, you know, some of these people that didn't didn't see that potential, uh, they ultimately slowed your career. I mean, had you been able to get in two years earlier, uh, maybe it would have been even better, uh, maybe not. Uh, do you ever, you know, kind of blame them and say, hey, they <laughs> kind of screwed up my career? Actually, I did make it. I made it for two games in my rookie year for the Patriots, and uh, okay. we won both games. We beat uh, the Raiders in Oakland. We beat San Diego in San Di excuse me in New England. But I I knew by that San Diego game I wasn't ready yet, and I thought again, just as the Jets had cut me a month earlier, maybe this is the end of the road, and the same thing happened. Darn it, they don't know what's inside me. I just have to right. keep getting stronger. And so my kickoffs improved the next year. I was mental. It's amazing, frankly, how much more um, consistent I was. I was out kicking by the 79 season in the preseason, all the other guys. And during the season, I had tryouts with New England, um, the Colts, the New Orleans Saints, the Cincinnati Bengals. I even had Homer Rice to, to, to mm -hmm. underscore how unfair you could decide that it is tell me i don't remember nick ever seeing you miss a field goal in preseason homer rice was the head coach of the cincinnati Bengals in wow. 1979 uh why would you cut a guy who you'd never seen miss a single kick hundreds mm -hmm. of kicks. so um but i just knew that if i put myself out there the right person the right team the right system the right timing would take place my i call it god's timing you know giving god the opportunity to make sure that he puts you where you're supposed to be and then i played 14 years for kansas city even though <laughs> on the surface i had to beat out the greatest kicker in the history of the game at the mm -hmm. height of his career when he played seven more years after that for green bay in minnesota wow talk about stress not easy, not easy. But you know what? It's funny. As you're talking about your career, Nick, I see a lot of parallels, whether it's sports or building wealth. That seems like somebody like yourself, the best athletes, and I think Johnny Unitas was another one that you know just couldn't get a couldn't get a job for the life of him at the early part of his his struggles. Uh, and the richest people get go through those setbacks, 
and those failures even earlier in their career before they really can take off. Any thoughts on that? I think that the incidence of uh, people that achieve the highest levels of greatness, um, the incidence of failure is almost as high or higher. The, the actual counterintuitive notion that, that really helps young people, I think, grow in a healthier way is the more mistakes you make, the greater the greatness, the greater the success. The more mistakes, the more learning, the more um, references to how you have to grow, the more opportunities for you to apply those lessons uh, and to, to make them stick so that you don't get complacent mm -hmm. because a lot of people will achieve, like I did with the Patriots, the short-term success, think that's mm -hmm. all they had to do, stop working. And the working and the growth, the discipline, the daily preparation, when, when you have a financial manager who loves the preparation, never takes your portfolio for granted as the analogy, mm -hmm. always is looking every day, as you just mentioned, what happened in Europe and the, the, in Brazil right now, as you said, mm -hmm. uh, I heard you summarize it down. We'll see what's going on. To have that curiosity, to love the preparation, those are the things and the only things that allow you to continue to grow and to compete and to out-compete others. Okay, so sometimes those setbacks wake you up, get you out of the complacency. I like that word. I think that was the appropriate one to use. Now, most of our uh, listeners probably assume that, you know, given the amount that sports pros earn during their career, you were financially secure for the rest of your life. You didn't have to worry about personal finance and investing. Um, is that accurate, or would you uh, tell us why not? <laughs> Well, well, I, was, I guess I was, not I was, accurate. From the, yeah, from the I was, laugh, I, I can tell it's not fully accurate. I was, I Go was ahead. First of, all, first of all, I didn't get a big multi-million dollar uh, you know, bonus because I wasn't drafted, so start with that. Uh, okay. Second of all, uh, the, the economics of the NFL until 19, essentially 1993 was there was no such thing as real free agency like in baseball, which started with Dave McNally in the early 80s. So baseball's uh, always been far ahead of football. Football's catching up very nicely. But in the 80s, we had two strikes to try to get even a base level uh, because we didn't have any ability to market ourselves when our contract ended. We were essentially indentured servants where the other teams could not bid for our services that our own team always had that opportunity. That's not complaining. It was such a joy to be part of the NFL after all that rejection. I appreciated it even more. But um, I would say this, uh, and this is what I say to every NFL player I, uh, when I have a chance, that if you're not rejecting, no matter how much money you've made, 19 out of 20, if not 95 or 98 out of every 100 proposals that you're given that you're going to find yourself in trouble, that we as athletes – are conditioned to believe we'll find a way. We'll be like Joe Montana or Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. We'll find a way to guide our – or Andrew Luck, maybe for a younger reference – to guide our team down the field and win anyway. But in business, there's no reason to have to set yourself up where you're coming from behind in the last two minutes, and if you don't score the touchdown, you're dead. In business, it's really about being cautious being extremely 360-degree, um, you know, visionary, clear with everything in that business. And if you don't have answers to them, don't do it. Yeah, and it, it, the other thing, even if you earned all of that money, as many uh, actors and, of course, athletes do, 
uh, we hear some uh, stories about them not making it, bankruptcy, uh, you know, failing. Uh, you, you take somebody like uh, uh, the, the late uh, Michael Jackson is maybe a you know an example from a different, uh, totally different industry, where mm-hmm. uh, he was in a huge amount of debt. Uh, this right. a huge amount. So, so I mean, I, I you know, to me, uh, it's it's one sided to think that income is the answer for life, that that will take care of you, because you're only working for those uh, sixteen, eighteen years. You're not uh, earning a salary. They're not paying you a pension because uh, you're a good guy, I assume. And uh, and the NFL pension is about a third or a quarter what it is in baseball. Um, no, uh, in fact, Antoine Walker was in the the uh, news just a couple days ago. He signed the seventy one million dollar contract, uh, no. and yet he's bankrupt. Kareem um, Abdul Jabbar, who I've done some work with with American, there you Union, go. He went through the same thing. There have been many many examples. Kurt Schilling, who was the star of the World Series here mm-hmm. uh, in two thousand one against the Yankees, and yet he put all his money all these shekels in one account thinking I'm going to be the man who's committed. I'm going to commit everything I have because I know if I'm fully committed, I'll make it work because that's the lesson he learned in sports. But again, I go back to that. There's no reason why he had to make everything, put everything into that basket. That, that, that unfortunately led to bankruptcy for him when he had made, I think, something like a hundred and something million dollars in his career. Wow. Again, those are those are points I want to make sure our listeners hear because uh, income is only part of it. It's, it's building that nest egg and, and knowing how to manage it and having good managers around you if you don't do it yourself. But let me switch now gears completely. We've talked a little bit about where you've been. Let's talk about where you are now. And I thought we'd start with the Youth Foundation you mentioned briefly. Tell us a little bit about the goals of that foundation. Well, our goal of our foundation is to reach as many youth as possible with regard to champions against bullying. We've been in Mm -hmm. 75 schools. We just um, ironically signed with a school district, and we're going to be doing an event November 24th with Bigfoot High School in Wisconsin, about an hour and a half from Chicago. Uh, I I love that. It's a seven-school district. I love the challenges of helping kids grow in their decision-making. So in this case, it's an emotional thing with bullying. In leadership, to go to a baseline, it's once again being aware of how your mind works, how your mind works under stress, how you align your values and maintain focus on the things you can control. So we love that because we believe that kids learn and all of us learn when we have a a three-dimensional strategy for learning. We don't just intellectually read it in a book. We act it out. We do project-based learning. If there's touch involved, we make it so that kids will get to work with real people in close quarters. With regard to our mutual friend Sharon Lecter, and uh, her Thrive Time game, we do this uh, on the second day of our leadership training with Native youth um, because, uh, frankly, I am passionate that one of the reasons that America is so far behind in the world in math and science is because we refuse to give examples that are practical applications the kids can see immediately will help them the rest of their lives. And what better example, what much better example than mm-hmm. being able to budget when you're 10 years old and you have a lemonade stand, when you're you know, learning to sell things at T-shirts, let's say for the school, the high school games when you're 12, you learn how to have cash flow, you learn how to save money, you learn how to anticipate those things which are not predictable so that you even have a, 
a backup fund because you know that mm-hmm. life is going to throw some things at you you can't predict. Those are concepts that help kids permanently. And from there, okay, fine. We can study how quickly a bathtub, a bathtub empties. We can study some of these other things that can help probably one-tenth of one percent of the population in future problems figure them out. But mm-hmm. what we focus on is real-life situations. How do you grow so that when you're, let's say, here in the Valley of the Sun, the Fort McDowell youth, and you get four hundred and fifty mm-hmm. or four hundred eighty thousand dollars at the age of eighteen. What if you, instead of taking all that money and spending it right away, you spend one tenth of it, and you you save the rest of it, you invest it, and you study maybe three days a year, every year for the next six years, before you take that next uh, increment of let's say fifty thousand dollars. You study how to invest. You study how, what types of investments. You study how to budget. You study cash flow and credit and finance. How much better would those kids on the Fort McDowell Reservation be? They'd have their, their fundamental money mostly would still be there, and they'd have invested it much more carefully. They would have done things to please their parents, and they would have set themselves up for a lifetime of better decision-making. Wow. Let me just ask you a curiosity question. I'm, not, I'm sure I'm not the only one on the bullying, because uh, despite being six foot one now, I was actually five foot tall and 98 pounds when I went to high school. So I would have been a much more likely target for bullying. So I assume it wasn't you started this uh, focus on bullying because you you were bullied as a uh, football player. You're a pretty big guy. Uh, so you know, what, how did that get started? Well, it was more about seeing how the desensitization in our culture, um, which uh, is centered around that wonderful thing called our phone, which has become Mm -hmm. a phone and computer that gives us access to so much. But it's also deprived us of the fundamental learning blocks of looking someone in the eye, working with them uh, without a script, working with them in an unpredictable environment as you would back in the day when you'd go out for a couple hours, three, four hours, five hours, six hours in the afternoon in the summer, make up your own rules and get to know somebody that you may not even like initially and, and develop an ability to resolve conflicts peaceably. Those are fundamental things. So um, I... I love that process. That's what is so crucial to me when I see bullying. I see usually environments where the athletes are often thought of as the only top dogs in school. And Mm -hmm. uh, I try to interrupt that pattern and say the spotlight that you get now is only redeemed by teaching others in school, particularly those um, that think they're all that and more, that um, giving that power and that light to those in the shadows of the school, making everyone feel important is what true championship is all about. Excellent. All right. See that, and that makes total sense to me. So you're looking at it from the athlete's perspective that they can be part of the solution, uh, as opposed to uh, you are a target of bullying, which of course I knew you weren't. But uh, that was uh, well. You know, I, you know, again, I, I, uh, I actually had that, Ron. I had that. really interesting. I did. I mean, everybody has to test their metal. Something. Everybody has to stand up for themselves. You know, when it, I think that one of the things that we want to do is distinguish between bullying and the everyday banter 
that um, pushes us and prods us that's sometimes unfair. There's a difference between that and a, and a constant campaign uh, designed to permanently damage your self-esteem. And then when you throw in cyberbullying, it can be such a level of public humiliation that the kids, not often, but too often, um, will think about taking, if not actually take their lives. That's a different thing. Right. Um, the statistic I would love to share is that kids mm-hmm. that are bullied consistently over a period of years where their parents, where the school does nothing, are 750%, almost eight times more likely to have a, a permanent level of low self-esteem where they choose the wrong people in life, where they don't believe they're worthy of any success. Uh, the, that statistic, the baseline of, low, of serious low self-esteem is what I call it, is 6%, but it's mm-hmm. 45% for those people that are bullied. And that affects everything. Their likelihood of going to prison, their likelihood of being in abusive relationships, their likelihood of being abused in a number of ways. Uh, and, and, of course, in the end, all of us have to meet our maker and, and get ourselves out of these pits of darkness. But, but if we create a, a value system where we honor everyone and give everyone a shot, then I think we're doing the right thing. Boy, I want to come back to that topic of self self esteem, but this would be a good time to remind our listeners who just tuned in. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. If you missed the earlier part of the show, you can re listen. Really listen to this show and any of other archive shows on wealthdna.us. Today our guest is Nick Lowry. Our topic today is financial literacy taking responsibility. Nick was inducted to the Football Hall of Fame for his outstanding career as one of the very best place kickers of all time founder of the Nick Lowry Youth Foundation, and a motivational speaker, which we'll talk a little bit more about more shortly. But Nick, let me come back to this uh, self-esteem. You focus a lot on self-esteem, and, and as you talked about your career, uh, that was a very critical element that you stayed positive, that you stayed focused. Um, how important is it indeed to success and then touch on the other thing you, you, you started to touch on a little bit is each of us have these slumps. We get these dark periods. Uh, what are some of the tips you have for getting out of those? Getting out of the dumps, is that what you're asking? How do you get yeah, out of those? Yeah, things? exactly. Well, I, I yeah, think, is that going to yeah, happen? I, yeah, well, I think certainly, you know, here's something that um, I might not have answered the same yesterday, but I, I think uh, when you simulate your mind and your spirit, um, there are a number of things you can do. Uh, physical, uh, physical working out is a, a, an interesting thing. There's Great. no separation between mind and body. Physically working mm-hmm. out stimulates the endorphins, but it also sends a message, I'm growing. Uh, going to a Barnes & Noble bookstore, examining 100 books, and realizing there's so many stories and, and, and witnesses to greatness, uh, each of them having their own path through adversity that are in every single uh, book in that in that place is another thing to awaken yourself, your sense that cool. there's so much more to be aware of. And then there's developing your plan. Uh, you know, whether it's a financial plan, it's certainly saying, what is the thing within me? I'd like to say it's focus, passion, purpose. When I align my focus with that internal conversation, the single most important conversation I have in my life is with myself and then with God, mm-hmm. saying, what is, my per- what is the thing that, that stimulates my greatest passion? What do I just love doing? What makes me feel more fully alive and powerful and excited and creative? Those are the things that only we can answer with uh, the conversation with ourselves. When you've done those first two, you've focused on the things you really love, 
Now your purpose is right there, and it's in your pocket. It's in your, the forefront of your mind. It's in your heart. And suddenly you walk with full weight of your soul. When you sit down at your desk, when you, everywhere you go, there's that sense that you're actually living the life you were meant to live. And that gives you, I think, a sense of courage, a sense of meaning, a sense of literally purpose. And most of the kids today in school... They don't get that. They're lucky to have mm-hmm. teachers that help them understand that, but it's, not, it's almost deliberately not treated in any consistent format in school. Parents can do it to some degree, but in the end, all of us have to just say, I can make myself physically stronger, intellectually stronger, spiritually stronger, and do the things that really are aligned with what I was intended to do. I'm uniquely good at doing blank, whatever yes, that is, right. and it may be several mm-hmm. things. And, and focusing on what you love, and that, that's a bigger thing than just whatever the task is ahead of you. If it's uh, 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 joining a, a team, uh, getting, getting uh, hired by a team, or getting hired by an employee, or uh, finishing an assignment at school, I mean, that's what we tend to focus on, but uh, you're making people step back, and I do agree the exercise is a great method to do that, to just kind of get, uh, get really uh, refocused, and, and uh, as you said, there's some good mental activity going on during that. Uh, and, and, and I like like your 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 idea of the books and the library, but but when I focus on what I love, that's a bigger thing. That's not just my task. It's not that I love getting into this team to play tomorrow, uh, or it's not to make this assignment uh, go away and get uh, get a decent grade. Uh, it really is focusing on the big story, and these are just little steps along the way that uh, become a lot easier. Great great points. Really really enjoyed. Uh, hearing those. I'd like to talk a little bit about what else you're doing today. Because I know you're you're also doing some speaking um to 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 uh, various organizations. Tell us a little bit about some of those assignments you've had in the recent past. Well, actually uh a couple uh things. One I uh, mm-hmm. just uh uh, beginning to do work to help counter sexual assault on campus and uh, how hmm. incredibly controversial and sensitive that is. And you've seen it in the NFL, which is always right. just a mirror of society itself. But uh, you're now seeing NFL players saying no more. They're doing a, a campaign now saying, no, that's not okay. I love to see how the most difficult thing of all, to change cultural norms is so, so difficult. I'd love to be part of that. Um, leadership itself. What we do, what I learned and when I went back to Harvard uh, after my career in 2000, mm-hmm. I, I went back to the Kennedy School of Government, got my master's, and then I did a fellowship. The adaptive leadership model there sends a couple things I'd love to share. Number one is that real leadership is resolving conflicts in values and strategies. You can have people, let's say you have eight members of your team around that boardroom table, and everybody has the same values. They may have different strategies, and usually do, to how to get mm-hmm. there. So uh, the leader has to look at the what, what they call the faction, that every one of those eight people around the table is their own one-person faction, if you will. They all okay. have their own perceptions of what's, what's important. And being able to give every one of that table a sense of importance and identify their unique place is sort of why we watch things like The Apprentice with Donald Trump or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some of these entrepreneurial things, Shark Tank uh, or Survivor, even the, 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 you know, not my favorite, those, those so-called reality shows. It's usually about... Right. getting aware of the different personalities and the the threats and the people you can work with. That's the first thing. And then it's about developing a common vision and then working through Mm -hmm. that process of being a leader, which is about assassination. 
It's about that sometimes because you have big values, because you have a big vision, you can be subverted for that as well. So I'd love to share that as part of the adversity that all of us, some people think, gosh, I have adversity. I don't know why. And so I'd love to share that. And once again, that adversity is the best thing. The actual brain itself and what's called the frontal lobe and right behind it, the ACC, is actually uh, the remnant of, of two million years of evolution where we learn from our mistakes. That's how the brain mm-hmm. learns the most. And we're back to some of the things we talked about. It's, it's that adversity. It's those uh, struggles that really uh, make people great. Um, so what you're, you're doing is you're probably finding in, in, in a lot of where you're helping others, you're probably learning some of the lessons that you had in your life that you shared with us. Well, I think if you're if you're speaking, if you're an actor, if you're an athlete, you know, uh, you're always trying to keep that personal, uh, vivid memory of just how real those lessons always are. You don't just think, "Gosh, I was cut in 1978 by the Patriots, and I've learned that lesson." Mm-hmm. Those lessons are daily. I hope when I'm 105, Ron, I'm going to say, you know, I'm teaching a class in, in leadership at ASU. <laughs> and the students in the front row are asking questions, and after the class, I'm going, you know, I did okay today, but I can get it better tomorrow. I think that should there be the, that part of that conversation is, you know, for the rest of our lives, how do I get it better? And Isn't life great? Isn't life fantastic? Aren't there opportunities all over the place that I'm looking for and blessings? But also, gosh, I love getting better every day. And you do some leadership and uh, kind of kickoff sessions for a number of different companies. Can you name some of the companies or groups that you've worked with uh, <laughs> that have uh, have used you in, in, in that kind of capacity to, to really get them motivated and, and, and kick things off, as you say? And that's why, you know, it would have been great to have you as kicking off our financial series, uh, financial literacy series. But, uh, you know, that that is clearly what people know you for. So, uh, you know, any any good examples of companies or groups that you've talked to? Well, you know, whether it's it's Sprint, whether it's AT&T, whether it's Infinity Automobiles, uh, or some mm-hmm. of the ones that are the younger ones, like there's Vermont Hard Cider I spoke to that had grown from, from $5 huh. million to $50 million in three years, and they were out here for their convention. Like I said, Fairfield Residential, which was uh, just last week in Las Vegas, was a, uh, the group of their service managers helping them, the people that have to cater to a, a hundred to a thousand residential units with all all sorts of personalities and, and looking at their leadership skills. Um, it, it, I love the variety, Ron. Sometimes it's an automobile dealership. Sometimes it's insurance. Uh, I've spoken to the Kansas Bar Association. Uh, I spoke to the Nebraska uh, Bankers Association several, a couple of years ago, uh, and I loved uh, challenging them that the greatest opportunity they had in this market with the lack of liquidity for so many entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. uh, where the wealthy have 10 times the volume of uh, opportunities to invest in and can sit back and wait, that it's only these banks that that can reward those entrepreneurs with great ideas. And that remains the fundamental health barometer of our economy, our creativity, our leadership and our entrepreneurship wrapped into one. And the banks can do that for us by having some guts to not to take some risks, some small, mm-hmm. educated, strategic risks to reward creativity and character. Now, can we have you do that talk for both the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Congress? That would be I would, a great lo- I would love to do that. Um, 
I will say, I will say this, Ron. The very first day of our leadership training, um, I say we are in a post-governmental um, era. Uh, I'm somebody who grew up next door to Supreme Court justice. His father was CIA. I worked with ambassadors and uh, politicians. I worked for Senator John Chafee of Rhode Island, who was one of the last of the Republicans who knew how to work with the Democrats. And Senator Packwood, another example. Uh, it, it, there's plenty of, of blame to spread, and you see the blame in these wonderful campaign ads. I say that the best and healthiest attitude for kids today is to say we're in a post-governmental era where government just doesn't know how to solve our most important problems. And the only ones that are going to solve them are each one of us in our own way to find a way to contribute and make a difference. And that the greatness of America remains creativity, unleashing your unique creativity with your leadership skills to take what could be an eccentric or myopic vision that others cannot relate to and turn it into something that the whole community can benefit from. That's America's unique greatness better than any country in the world. It's something that Alexis de Tocqueville talked about in the 1830s with Democracy in America. If you haven't read it, that would be a great way to stay uh, motivated uh, to see what makes America great. Our ability to work in small groups to solve very important problems. Well, and you're definitely doing uh, quite a share of that yourself. Let's remind our listeners how they'd learn more about your career, some of the things you're doing. Uh, what's the web- website or websites you'd recommend? Well, thank you again, Ron. You know, your leadership and giving me an opportunity and Sharon Lecter, we love, by the way, Sharon. I worked with Sharon mm-hmm. thanks to her to get financial literacy required uh, as part of graduation of high schools. And I know. we still have thank a lot you. more work to do. But, but um, to get in touch with my foundation and me, just uh, you can email mm-hmm. me at admin, A D M I N, at loweryspeaks.com, L O W E R Y, speaks like speaking, plural, mm-hmm. dot com. And the Excellent. website is www. Dot Nick Lowry, N-I-C-K-L-O-W-E-R-Y, dot org. Dot org, correct, exactly. Now, we've covered a lot of aspects of your career and the topic of taking responsibility today. What are, there, are there some key points you'd like to add or maybe to reemphasize that we've covered? Well, I would say number one is that uh, if you don't feel that sense of purpose in your life, uh, don't look outside. It's right inside mm-hmm. you. If you want to stimulate that search, uh, the greatest biography, I think, uh, that anyone could read, uh, besides the Bible itself, uh, the New mm-hmm. Testament would be, would be um, Edmund Morris's uh, biography of Teddy Roosevelt, a man who was physically uh, asthmatic and a man who pushed himself through enormous adversities, including losing his mother and his wife the very same day in the same house. Right. And yet one of our most resilient and independent thinking uh, presidents ever. By the way, quick statistic, Teddy Roosevelt mm-hmm. dictated 150,000 letters during his presidential term. That was without computers, without dicta- dictaphones or anything. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, who led his people from the front, uh, whether it was, of course, in, in Cuba and some of the things he did um, before he became president, he was always someone who understood the leader leads at the front line. The leader does not have people interpret for him and doesn't Mm -hmm. ever get there where the real battle is. So uh, enjoy running out on the field with 80,000 people screaming at you. Enjoy the nerves. The nerves mean that you're alive. The The nerves mean you're doing what you love. There's nothing wrong with being nervous. If you love preparation, then nervousness is going to be your best ally. You'll think with more uh, clarity, with more, more passion, and uh, those are some of the lessons we'd love to share with people. 
Fantastic. Nick, thank you for joining us today. Now, if I, as I've gotten to know you uh, through this show and, and getting to know more about your life and preparing for it, you've become one of my heroes, and I hope uh, we'll have an opportunity <laughs> to work together to, to help some youth and adults achieve their the American dream. So look forward to uh, having the right occasion to do that. Well, thank you, brother, and I appreciate the work you're doing and, and you're letting me be on your show today. Thank you, Ron. Okay, thank you, Nick. Well, in many regards, this was not a typical Wealth DNA radio show where we have an expert in some aspect of business, the economy, saving or investing to share some ideas. Today, we brought on a sports hero who kids and adults look up to. I only wish all of the professional athletes were as grounded and having as positive effect on kids and adults as Nick Lowry is today, and he has throughout his career. Nick is a professional who would be doing he could be doing anything he wants to earn a good living, and he's chosen to dedicate most of his time to being a positive influence in others' lives. Now, given his master's degree in public administration, as, as um, he, he didn't mention, but that's what it is from the Harvard uh, Kennedy School of Government, he'd be a great person to work in the government, either as a politician or as a change agent. We need more people like him who would help move the U.S. back to where it was, a great nation where other countries wanted to emulate. Now, if you remember just a few key lessons from today's show, I sure hope they'll include some of the ones in my notes. First of all, each of us in charge of our future. Take responsibility. If you need somebody to blame, blame yourself. Then forgive yourself and move on. Each, each of us stumbles or even fails. It's not once in a while. It will happen, sometimes daily. If it didn't kill you, use the opportunity to get stronger and better. The very best fail at least once. When everything seems dark around you, don't give up because night is darkest just before dawn. And he had very specific tips to get you out of those slumps. Now, a few of us will have the opportunity to have million-dollar contracts during our career. Whether we do or don't, we still have to learn to manage our finances wisely to ultimately obtain that holy grail, the income for a life. And the lessons of budgeting he talked about are absolutely critical for kids to learn. Kids are our future. Do what you can to shape them for a better future. Share with them what you've learned so they don't have to learn the same lessons the hard way. Or maybe Vince Lombardi's words boil it down to two sentences. There's only one way to succeed in anything, and that is to give it everything. I do, and I demand that of my players. And again, Vince Lombardi, one of the greats in football coaching. For our listeners in the U.S., two important reminders. November 4th is an important day. Exercise your right to vote. If you don't like repeat offenders, vote them out of office. If you change your clocks next week, as many of you you will be, remember our next show will be an hour earlier for you. And remember, regular listeners of the Wealth DNA radio show know that our objective here is to help a million people become millionaires. And I certainly hope today's show provided some motivation for you to be the best you can be and achieve your full potential. And remember, the money flows to the best. And another thing to remember best way to increase your wealth. Tune into this show twice a month. We'll keep you motivated. Share the investment fundamentals. Share some great ideas and help diversify and grow your portfolio. And Nick gave a great example of somebody putting all of their eggs in one basket. They were committed. And unfortunately, it didn't work. Many thanks to BI Solutions Corp. for sponsoring today's show. They're a residential real estate fund based in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area and have helped many investors to have income for a life. 
The next Wealth DNA Radio Show will be the second Monday of November, and that is Monday, November 10th, 9 a.m. Arizona, same place, same time, unless, of course, you change your clocks. We, we haven't confirmed our next guest in our series on, wealth, on uh, financial literacy yet. As usual, we provide that lineup of guests and topics on WealthDNA.us, and there you'll find the archive of past shows. If you have some comments, suggestions, additional questions on today's topic, or if you haven't received my emails reminding you about the show, send an email to me, ron at WealthDNA.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy investing, and never give up. And Pete, I don't know if you know that we haven't had the music go through. At least I have not heard it. So there it goes. Have a great week. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started. <laughs>